Welcome to the Tessudo Times Weekly Podcast. I'm Matt Levine with Lila Bromberg today. I'm coming from New York, Lila from Maryland over Skype. And we'll be recapping some Maryland men's basketball, some Maryland women's basketball. Two big wins for the Maryland men's basketball team. But first, if you want to sponsor or donate or advertise to Testudo Times podcast, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Testudo Times or email us at testudotimes at gmail.com. Before we get into those games that Maryland had this past couple this past week and before previewing what they have coming up, we'll take a look at the Big Ten standings and how it stands right now, Maryland's at the top of the pack where they were expected to be. So, Lila, just recap that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, you have Michigan State at the top as 4-0. I think, you know, that was what we expected coming into the season. But then with some of the rocky losses they had, uh, we weren't really sure how they were going to turn up in Big Ten play. But they're 4-0, the only undefeated team in the conference right now. And Maryland is right behind them at 3-1 and in conference play with, uh, it's only loss coming uh, in that road loss to Penn State. And I think the next team is what's surprising me most, tied for second with Maryland, is Rutgers. Um, before we get into the rest of the standings, is that something you expected coming into the season at all? Not at all. I expected kind of Northwestern and Rutgers to be at the bottom, how they usually are. Northwestern's at 0-4, sitting in last place. But I did not expect Rutgers to come in and just – basically beat teams that I didn't think they should have. But now they're 12-3 and overall, 3-1 and in the conference. They've won six straight. I mean, they're, they're hitting their stride in the right time. I don't know if they'll end up making the tournament, but it's it, it's a better spot than I ever expected them to be this year. Yeah, I mean, they beat number 20 Penn State, 72-61 to in their last game. They were able to beat, you know, Seton Hall, They've gotten some good wins, but yeah, I don't know if that's a team that can make the tournament. I mean, maybe it's a different year for them, but for me, it's just hard to believe Pipe with Rutgers. I guess we're going to have to, you know, really see with them um, what happens there. Coming up, they'll be playing Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and then Iowa. I mean, they don't really play like a really good team until they face Michigan on February 1st. I mean, they face Purdue on the 28th, but that they've had an up-and-down season. Um, they face Iowa on the 22nd. Um, so I don't think they've really been, like, tested that much in conference play. I mean, but they have picked up some good wins, and um, this is the year that maybe you don't take Rutgers as lightly as you normally would, for sure. And then behind them, you have, uh, in fourth place, you have Illinois, uh, which Maryland was able to pick up that win thanks to that heroic play from Anthony Cowan Jr. And then you have a bunch of teams at 2-2. Two and two. Um, Basically, you've got Indiana, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Penn State, Purdue, and Minnesota all at 2-2. Two and two. And the next two teams are surprising teams we thought would be towards the top. Uh, we weren't as sure about Michigan just with the coaching change, but I kind of always thought that they would be towards the top here, of course. It's extremely early right now in Big Ten play. But you've got uh, Michigan at 1-2 and two in conference play, though they're 10-4 and four overall and ranked 19th. And then Ohio State is ranked number 11. Maryland just beat them, and we'll get into that win. But they're now, after that loss to Maryland, they're 1-3 in conference play. They've got an 11-4 record, have beat some really good teams, but they're kind of sinking a bit right now. And then you've got Iowa at 1-3, and, and as we mentioned, Northwestern at 0-4. So we talked about Rutgers. Is there anything else that kind of sticks out to you right now? Of course, it's really early in conference play. I think Illinois kind of sticks out to me as well. They've been able to just compete with pretty much everyone so far. They nearly beat Maryland. They beat Michigan already. They beat Wisconsin. They came back to beat them in their last game. So I think they're a team that can end up getting into the tournament late in conference play. You'll see them towards the middle pack probably, but I think this conference is so deep. And Andy Katz ranked it the second toughest behind the Big East, which I kind of disagree with. I think it is harder than the Big East. So I think that there's so many teams in this conference that could get to March and make the tournament. And I really think that Illinois could be one of those teams. And they're right at the top right now in fourth place. I think there's, there's a chance that they end up staying up there. So we'll really have to see how the rest of the season pans out. But right now, 
I think they're the dark horse in this conference. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling they were going to be better than people were expected going into this season. They looked really strong towards the end of last season. And you mentioned that Andy Katz came out with that, and I thought that was interesting. I mean, because I think when a lot of people talk about conferences, it's like, oh, rankings and all of that. But I don't think you have a conference in college basketball where you have teams beating each other like you do in the Big Ten where there's just depth. I mean, where you literally have two ranked teams that are one and two and one and three. You don't really see that as much. Um, and then you look at the net rankings, and you have 11 teams in the top 50 of net rankings, and I think uh, there's five in the top 20 as well, which I think is a bit of a better assessment than just, you know, a top 25 ranking. So that says a lot, and it's certainly going to be a tough schedule. You know, Mark Turgeon said earlier this week before Indiana that this was going to be the toughest uh, conference schedule he's competed in as a player or coach. Uh, but Maryland, regardless, was able to pick up a big win over both Indiana and Wisconsin. I have to admit, I did not think they would be able to get through both of those games unscathed, but they were able to. So let's kind of get into this Indiana game first. I mean, that was a big victory, 75-59. It could have been about nine points more, but, you know, Turgeon emptied the bench, and then Indiana went on a 9-0 run to kind of bring it closer towards the end. But, you know, just first off, what were your impressions of that game? I think it's Jalen Smith has been the story, and in this game he tied his season high of 19 points, and he did that in just 25 minutes. Obviously, you said the starters came out towards the end. Maryland led by 30. It was 71 to 41, and then obviously that big run made it 75-59. But I think Jalen Smith has kind of flipped a switch now, and Daryl Morsell said it that there's two different seasons basically between non-conference play and, and conference play that they look at that as two different seasons almost. And I think Jalen Smith might agree with that based on how he's been playing. And I think he's really turned it up a notch. He's been rebounding better. He's just been playing better offensively. He's been stronger. and He doesn't look as scared. He looks more confident now than he did early on in the year. And he also hit two threes in that game back-to-back. So he's shooting better as well from behind the arc. I think he's really been much better and more confident than he was early on in the year. Yeah, but something that sticks out to me too, I think that especially watching the early Big Ten games, specifically Penn State, and not even Big Ten, but then Seton Hall, I was really concerned with his play in the paint. It didn't feel like he was being aggressive enough, but I feel like we saw a lot more aggression against Indiana and Ohio State. Cody had an article come out uh, today about just the pairing of uh, Dante Scott and Jalen Smith down low and how they've kind of been a lot better than we expected and you mentioned the shooting of Jalen Smith as well I mean he right now has been shooting 60% from behind the arc since December 4th the best percentage of anyone on the team since that span Um, of course he isn't taking as many shots but I think they need to get him more of those looks I think that's really a, a dangerous weapon for this team and you know he's had two uh, three-pointers made uh, both against Indiana and then against Ohio State. And I think you got to get him even more looks and even more chances because I think that's something that can really throw teams off and, and be a good look. Anthony Cowan was talking to me after the game against Wisconsin about how that really allows the team to space the floor more. It takes pressure off some of the guards and really can, you know, just kind of phase defenses a little bit because they're not necessarily expecting it as much. So I think one of the keys to this Maryland team's success, especially because Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala aren't kind of shooting like themselves right now from behind the arc, I think you got to get Jalen Smith involved there more just to have a bit more look because right now he's been shooting, you know, two or three attempts per game, and I think you got to pick that up a little bit. I think it's right now they're kind of looking at, looking at that skill set as a backseat kind of option where someone drives to the paint and they end up just kicking it out or – a rebound trickles out and Jalen Smith's open for three. But I think that they could incorporate this more into the offense where someone sets an off-ball screen, Jalen Smith goes out behind the arc, and he's open for three. And he does that in warm-ups where he works on coming off the screen and goes and takes a three. So I think they can incorporate that. But right now it's not, as you said, that it's more of like the, the backseat option where He's taking two or three attempts per game. But also something that sticks out to me in this game was Maryland's ability to get on scoring runs. They turned a three-point game into an absolute blowout. 
And in the second half, they went on an 8-0 run, an 11-0 run, and a 12-0 run, all separately. So I think that has the ability to go such a long way for this team. If they did that in a tournament game, there's really no one that, that's going to beat that. It's just their ability to string their points together and have a lot of defensive stops translate into offense. And I think that this game really showed that the best it has all year. Yeah, and I think that's something that sticks out to me too, those runs, but specifically the defense part of it. I mean, in both this Indiana game and Ohio State, which we'll get into, Maryland held its opponent to under 60 points. That is hard to do, and they did it twice in a row. Um, And in both those games, they really were able to limit the team's best player. I mean, you look at Indiana, and Trace Jackson Davis was leading them in rebounding, in blocking, in scoring, and they were able to really um, limit him in that game. He wasn't even able to hit double digits. Um, And I think that says a lot. They've really shown that they can work well on defense, defending ball screens against teams' really good players. And I think that's going to be really crucial um, moving forward, especially as you get into, you know, tougher opponents. You know, if you're facing a team down the line like Michigan State, you have to be able to use ball screen defense well and really be able to shut down you know, crazy scores, and they've shown that they can do that so far, which I think is really key. I mean, Jalen Smith has looked a lot better defending in the paint. Dante Scott has looked good defending. Um, you know, of course, Daryl Morsell is always that guy, and he's really shown it lately as well. Um, and it just seems like everyone is playing good defense all around, and, you know, they're talking after the game that they often talk about last year's championship, you know, you have Texas Tech and Virginia, and they often talk about how those were the two best defensive teams. It's a common thing they talk about, that defense wins championships, and you know if they want to get to that stage, they need to play lockdown defense, and we've really seen that these past two games. I completely agree. I think they're prizing themselves on being a defensive team, and they're, they're letting their offense kind of play into that, where they get a stop, and it, it transition, we mentioned a lot how Mark Turgeon said that they're playing faster than they ever have, and he wants to play faster. So their defense, and then it turns into transition offense, which has been a success. So I really think they are prizing themselves on defense in hopes of that getting them into a deep tournament run. Yeah, and I I think especially with Indiana as well, um, you also saw, you know, Cowan had – 13 Wiggins had 13 more solid 12 after struggling a little bit for a few games and um, he's been looking really good these past two um, looks like he's getting back in his groove um, Anthony Cowan didn't have a single turnover in that game and it's really been showing a lot of ball control and that he can really lead this team I just thought it was a good win I mean Indiana is not like an insanely good team but they came into this game 11 and 2 and I didn't know I thought maybe, you know, they Indiana could pull out a win where Ohio State would, you know, take down Maryland. But they came up with wins in both. Um, you know, Xfinity was pretty electric for both these games. And, you know, to pick up a dominant win like this in conference play really, really says a lot. Like you said, they led by 30 points at one point. But the game that really sticks out to me is, you know, the Ohio State game. Number 11 versus number 12. It doesn't get a lot better than that. That was a game I was looking forward to all season. You know, What were your biggest takeaways from that one? Again, I think it was Jalen Smith coming and just being confident. He was able to guard one of the better big men in the conference, one of the better big men in the country, Caleb Wesson. I mean, he didn't necessarily stop him, but he didn't allow him to – have a dominant performance he had 15 points nine rebounds but Jalen Smith forced four turnovers or at least Wesson had four turnovers some of those were forced by Jalen Smith and he also Wesson also had four fouls which Jalen Smith was a victim of a couple times he got fouled by Wesson I think he was just out he had a lot of confidence down low he played like a veteran he played with just a new mindset it almost looked like. He wasn't scared to go up strong to the basket, and he was just playing. I think I think this new mindset, I don't know what it is, but he has new confidence with him, and I, I think it's very good for this team because 
he's one of those guys where we didn't know if Cowan was going to be the leading scorer or if Jalen Smith would be the leading scorer this year. So I think with him building up all this confidence now, it's not coming at a better time than, than right now. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, the biggest thing that stands out in this game is the defense. You know, they were able, you mentioned how they were able to hold Caleb Wesson to contain him. Eric Ayala said that was a huge point in this game going into the game plan. They had multiple different people guarding him, and they've really shown throughout this entire season that they can hold a leading scorer. You know, they were able to do it against Marcus Howard. They were able to do it against Trace Jackson Davis. They were able to do it against Caleb Wesson. They've really shown an ability to limit a team's leading score, which can really, really throw teams off. But what really stands out to me here is coming into this game, Ohio State was the best three-point shooting team in the conference. They were also the ninth best shooting team in the country. They were hitting, you know, triples at a 39% clip. And Maryland was one of the worst at 30.7%. And, you know, in this game, Maryland held... Uh, the Buckeyes to shoot just 18.5% um, from behind the arc. That's it. Um, and, you know, they were also able to hold them from the field to just 313 And Maryland looked a lot stronger from that area as well. In the first half, they went 7 for 11 uh, towards the end of the second half, hitting 63.6% of those chances. They ended the game shooting 44.4% and 45.7% from the field and that I think that that's a huge improvement from some numbers that we have seen recently for sure. Yeah, I think the 7 for 10 in the first half for Maryland behind the arc was shocking almost. Their shots usually don't fall like that in the first half, but I think they were able to just get open looks and they started to fall and they've had open looks all year, they just haven't been going in and it seems like that's the way it is with Ayala and Wiggins at least. But if they keep getting these looks, they're going to fall. These are two of the better shooters in the country, especially Wiggins. I would call him one of the better three-point shooters in the country by far. So I think if you keep getting these guys their looks, they're going to go in. It's it's just a matter of touch at this point. They really just haven't been falling. And I think they will start to more. And you saw it in this game that they did start to fall. So, I mean, it, and it wasn't just Wiggins and Ayala. It was Dante Scott as well. It was Cowan. It was Jalen Smith. It was more sell even. Everyone's hitting threes at this point. And I think that's a big incorporation into the offense where if you can't go down low to Jalen Smith in the paint, if he's guarded by Caleb Wesson, let's say, kick it out and there's an open look. So I, I think this really helped them get on a run and kind of take it from there. And they were able to lead by six at halftime and then end up winning by 12. So again, their second half spark as well. I think they're a really solid second-half team, and that translates off their defense because, again, they held Ohio State under 60 points, and they held Indiana under 60 points. So that's really hard to do with the Big Ten. Hold someone under, hold a team under 60 points is really hard to do, and Maryland did it twice, and they did it against one of the better teams in the conference, the number 11 team in the country. So I think Ohio State's sliding a little bit, but Maryland's defense really showed out in this game. And I think that translated into their three-point shooting. Yeah, and there's a stretch where they were able to hold uh, Ohio State to, you know, miss 12 straight field goals. And I think that says a lot to me. I mean, they weren't always able to fully take advantage of those droughts to build, like, a insurmountable lead. But to just be able to hold a team without a field goal on, you know, 12 straight attempts, uh, I think really says a lot. And that really messes up a team's confidence and, you could see that later on with Ohio State, and that's really huge to be able to stop a team that can usually score really well. Like I mentioned, they were you know one of the top teams in conference in terms of three-point percentage. They were around third place for field goal percentage before this game, and you know they just rendered them completely useless, which says a lot. Um, you know, Cowan was the leading scorer for Maryland in this game. You know, twenty points, six rebounds, two assists. What have you thought of how he's looked over these past two games? Because I think he's he's looked pretty impressive. I would have to agree. I think he's looked to nearly be the Big Ten Player of the Year. Obviously, it's hard behind Cassius Winston, who had a monster performance against Michigan this past week. But Cowan's looking like he's up there, and he's looking almost like an All-American, like one of the best guards in the country. He's just 
and Dan Dockich on ESPN kept saying this guy is one of the best finishers in college basketball, and he's able to close out games. Seth Greenberg called him the Mariano Rivera of college basketball. And for those of you who don't know Mariano Rivera, he's the best closer ever in Major League Baseball. He leads the MLB in saves. So I think he's kind of comparing Cowan to being one of the best closers in college basketball. He's able to just take a shot at the buzzer, take a game-winning game shot late in the game, try to win the game, give the ball to Cowan, basically. And he can do a lot and at the end, especially that shot against Illinois. I think that highlights what the, the closer part is talking about. But I really think that if you give the ball to Anthony Cowan in a game where he needs a if, – if Maryland needs a basket, you have to go to Cowan. He can – he can create so much space behind the arc to shoot a three. He can get to the basket better than he's ever done in his career. And I think that's showing he's getting N ones. He's literally driving from nearly half court and just going to the basket. He's blown by everyone. He's faster than everyone. I think he's looked amazing. And I think he's looked the best he has all year. So 20 points, six rebounds, two assists. That's a very solid game from this guy. And I think his ability to just, the defender doesn't know whether he's going to shoot a three and pull up or if he's going to go to the basket. And I think that's the key right now is that he's finishing better than he ever has. So the defender really doesn't know how to guard him. And I think he's becoming a two-way player like that, which is so needed for Maryland. And I think Cowan is playing like one of the best players in the country right now. And I think it's also a matter of decision-making. I think in the past he would just drive into the paint hoping to get an N1 or hoping to get fouled. But I feel like he's taking those looks smarter this year. He's really seeing, like, he's not going to just drive in the paint. He's doing it if he sees that area. And I I think he's just seeing the floor so much better this year, especially. I think one of my favorite moments against was against Indiana. Um, he gets the N1 and just goes for a little flex and shimmy. Um, They're just having so much fun in that game against Ohio State. The team talked about how they're focused in both games. Like, Turgeon was stressing for them the have fun and let go of the pressure a little bit. And it showed him these past two games. I mean, the team was just really happy, smiling, enjoying themselves in these past two. I think my only criticism for Cowan right now is after the game, I saw him as we were doing post-game interviews and he was drinking an orange Gatorade. And I said to him, Ant, like, come on, like, why are you drinking orange? It's like the worst Gatorade flavor. And he was claiming it was the best. So I think that's my only criticism for Cowan right now because that's, that's going to be a hard disagree on my end. Yeah, I would kind of agree with you. Orange, not not up there. I would say red's probably the best. I, w- I would say blue, but just like orange is like towards like the very yeah, bottom for me. The worst one. But if it's working for Cow, Yeah, if, if it's working for him, go for it. I guess we'll let him go. And I have to say, what did you think of Dante Scott in this game? Because I think we've, like, he's not going to be a guy that's going to put up 20 points for you. Um, but he's going to be a guy who's going to play lockdown defense and get some key points when it's needed. And I think the best word to describe him is tough. That's what everyone says. He's just, he's mentally tough, physically tough. Everything. And I think Daryl Morsell said this after the game, that he has his back. He knows he's going into a dogfight, basically. Dante Scott's going to come out and just have his back no matter what he's going to fight and fight as hard as he can. And I think he plays as hard as he can. That really shows. He's never the last one down the floor in transition. He's usually the first one leading the way. But I think his defense is really the best part of his game right now. And you mentioned he's not going to score 20 points. I mean, here he scored seven, and he also had five rebounds. And I don't think that anyone should look at his scoring category and rate him on that. You rate him on his rebounding, his shot blocking, his steals, whatever it is. And then you look at his overall defensive play. Who is he guarded and how many did that opponent score? And I think he's had the ability to just stop opponents. He's just a force down low. He's not even that tall, but he's just so big and so strong. He's six foot seven, two, almost 230, right? I think so. I mean, Darren Morsell called him a freight train going downhill earlier this year. They've described him in so many, like, crazy ways. I love it. So, like, my point is that he's just a force down low with the size that he has, the strength. He's just – he knows how to play defense. He he doesn't even look like a freshman. 
it's kind of how Ayala looked last year. He looked like a veteran, and it, it almost looks like Dante Scott has taken that role kind of, and he doesn't really look like a freshman the way the Mitchell twins did when they were on the floor or the way Hakeem Hart looks when he comes on the floor. It's more when Dante Scott gets the start now. He's comfortable. He loves that energy in the, the big crowd at, X, at Xfinity Center. He He's a guy that could be a leader come his junior or senior year if he's still at Maryland. So I think he's he has the Daryl Morcell energy and grit almost on defense <laughs> where he's just looking to stop the ball, and he really does a good job of it. Yeah, and one thing that I've heard from a ton of players and from coaches, you know, he's just the hardest working guy out there, but he's going to really just work hard and give it his all. I think one thing that Dante said to us before Indiana, that before Ohio State really stuck out at me, when we were talking about Caleb Wesson and his job guarding him, he just said, you know, he bleeds just the way I bleed, and I'm going to play just as hard, if not harder, as he is. Um, so... I think that says a lot, just like his confidence, and he's not going to get scared by bigger guys. You know, he's he's not going to back down, which I think is an important thing to have. And I have to admit, when the Mitchell Twins left, I was a bit worried because you're then giving up a lot of size down low. But, you know, until Troll Mariel is fully healthy and can really play, you know, more minutes. Right now he's been playing around five minutes a game or so. Until he can really get in that starter role, I think that – Dante Scott has been impressive down low, even though he doesn't have that size there. And then when Troll Mariel does come in, he's able to get some big blocks and, and do some big things and have some big plays uh, on defense. He had two blocks against Ohio State, both of which came at pretty crucial times. Uh, he didn't have any points, but he also put in two rebounds, and that was in just, you know, 439. Um, so I think it's a really good combination they have, and you know, the more Troll Mariel plays, the more you might see Dante Scott playing and Jalen Smith playing more of the four and other positions like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're really starting to see more of what we wanted to down low. I didn't really expect it, but I, I was impressed over these last two games with their, their play in the paint. Yeah, they really have. I been with the Mitchell Twins leaving. You were worried about the size. And I don't think it even matters now the size that they lack because they play small ball sometimes and that's working for them. But then throwing Dante Sky, throwing obviously size not a factor with Troll Mariel, but when he's healthy, it's just going to be so dangerous down low. And I don't think people realized how deep it really is even without the Mitchell Twins. I mean, Jalen Smith has stepped up in place of them almost. And it came at a perfect time when it was so needed for Jalen Smith to take this next jump, and I think he's starting to do that. But then Dante Scott has really just filled the place really well. He's starting now. He's started every game since Seton Hall. Um, I, I just think that he's such a good player that not even physically but mentally as well, where you said he's not going to back down from anyone. I think that's so important. You can't be scared in, in college basketball and you have to go and grab it, and he's he really wants it, and you could see that when he plays every time. Yeah, and also I think one thing that's really kind of st- stood out for me uh, was Sorrell Smith over these past two games. Turgeon has talked about how he's come in just with a better attitude over break. Again, not a guy that's ever going to put up 20 points, but he had a key three-pointer um, against Ohio State. Um, and he's been really locked down on defense in the minutes he has been in. Uh, so I think that's really good to see, to see him turning a corner. Yeah, I mean, he he takes so, – sometimes he'll take some shots that they, he airballs them or he forces them up. But I think it was very good for this team to see him hit a shot finally. I mean, it almost looked like he, he had a cylinder on the basket every time he shot, but – he finally was able to connect on one, and I think the problem with him is just not being smart in his shot selection. He gets open, he gets open looks, but he hits them short usually. So if he uses a little bit more of his legs to shoot, I think he'll start to knock these down and gain a lot more confidence. But right now, the issue with Sir L. Smith, I think, is his lack of confidence. He comes on the floor and he turns the ball over once, and he's he's mentally just not confident. But I think if he starts to hit shots, that'll that'll gain. And 
he's an X factor as well. And Cowan needs a break. I noticed during the Ohio State game, um, Anthony Cowan came off the floor in the middle of the first half, probably for eight eight minutes, maybe five to eight minutes. And I, I was watching from home. I'm I'm saying, where's Cowan? You know, Sorrell Smith's been out there for a long time. I was like, is Cowan injured? I don't know. I see him sitting there on the bench with a towel on his legs, but he doesn't look hurt. So I don't really know what the issue was. And it was just rest, and they were giving Sorrell Smith some time, and I think that was much needed because he'll come on the floor for a minute, and he won't get into a rhythm, and then he'll come out. And there's no confidence there when when that happens. So I think allowing him to just build up some more confidence can really go a long way for him. Right, and we'll get into talking about the – Iowa game and Wisconsin but as of right now I mean I think that Maryland moves into into the top 10 after this game after beating the number 11 team in the country Um, and you had some other teams lose as well yeah absolutely I think they go definitely into the top 10 I don't know how high but it'll depend on Iowa I think Iowa yes Right, and looking at Iowa, I mean, yes, that's a team that we mentioned is 1-3 in in conference play, but I don't think it's a team that can be underestimated. You know, road games are always incredibly hard in the Big Ten. There's not much to do in Iowa, and so you always have huge crowds at Iowa games. It's going to be a Friday night, Um, so that's going to be a big one. It's a hard place to play. Um, Iowa's lost now two straight to Penn State and Nebraska, Um, but, I mean... And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, not having uh, Jordan Bohannon playing right now because he's hurt. But Luca Garza has been insane, and I think uh, it's it's going to be a tough team for Maryland to beat on the road. Yeah, Luke Garza at 6'11", 260. That's almost like Bruno Fernando size, maybe even a little bigger uh, if you compare it to someone at Maryland. But he's playing like an All-American. You see John Rothstein tweet about him pretty much every time Iowa has game. I get alerts from John Rothstein saying, Luke Garza playing like the All-American that he will be or whatever Rothstein says. But I really do think that he's the tough test. And Maryland showed they were able to guard Caleb Wesson. So I think if Jalen Smith is on him or Dante Scott's on him, whoever's on him, um, they they have to step it up just a little bit more to guard Luke Garza. And I think that it's it's a possibility that Maryland – shuts him down again. I mean, they were able to shut down Marcus Howard. They were able to shut down uh, Indiana's leading scorer. So they're able to shut down the leading scorers for many of these teams. And that is really the the key to their defense is just going and eliminating the top scorer, their top weapon. And in this case, it's Luke Garza. So whichever big man is guarding him, they're going to need to do a lot. I mean, this guy scored 44 points against Michigan. He had 18 rebounds in the last game against Nebraska. He's averaging 22.1 points per game and 10.7 rebounds per game. So he's clearly one of the best big men in the country. So I think it's a tough test, but it's one that can be handled for Maryland. Yeah, for me, it's always fun talking about Luca Garza. Um, he played at Murray, the Murray School in Washington, D.C., um, I come from kind of a smaller school like Murray in D.C. as well. I went to field and, you know, Murray's not a school. It's not in a good basketball conference. It's not a school that is considered to produce athletic talent. And so to see someone like him really thriving at the D1 level is kind of unheard of. And it, it's really uh, interesting and cool to see. Um, and I think, yeah, I think especially when you look at his averages, it reminds me a lot of Bruno Fernando. But one thing he's also able to do is he can shoot a three a little bit. Right now he's shooting 34.2% from deep. Um, he's, you know, taken 38 attempts, made 13 of those. Um, not the greatest numbers, but again, like any big man that can shoot even a little bit, that can throw teams off. And then he's shooting 56.2% from the field, which is pretty crazy. I mean, then again, they had Trace Jackson Davis against Indiana, who was shooting over 65% from the field, and they completely shut him down. So, like we said... I'm confident in this team's ability to be able to really, you know, knock players off their game. But, you know, Luca Garza is a player with, you know, a lot of size, a lot of skill. That's it's definitely going to be someone that they're really going to need to focus a lot of energy on to stop in this game. Yeah, I think you said it. He's, he's just able to do so many different things where 
Maryland might not even go to a man-to-man defense on this because, I mean, obviously I think they'll start with that, but I think it's an in-game adjustment kind of thing where if Garza's getting out behind the arc, they might just kind of leave it to his zone to stop that and not allow whoever's on him to run around the floor with him. I mean, that, that'll get someone pretty tired pretty easily. So I think Maryland can Maryland showed that they can stop guys like this. So I don't know what it will take, but it's going to take a lot. And I think if they eliminate if they eliminate Garza from having a huge game, then Maryland should win this one. But it's not going to be easy. Playing in Iowa is extremely tough. Right, and then you also have you know Joe Wisecamp, who is a six six guard, um, who's been playing really well for them as well. He's averaging 14 points a game and 5.9 rebounds. So he's another guy that you really don't want to underestimate and someone that they're going to be looking to stop. As we mentioned, you know, Jordan Bohannon hasn't been playing recently as he's been hurt. Um, and then you also have uh, C.J. Frederick, who's a 6'3 guard. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman, and he's been averaging 10.3 points per game. He's been shooting it 50% from deep. Um, he's made 23 of 46 attempts, and then he's shooting 54% from the floor. Um, so he's another guy that you don't want to underestimate, and he's been a big assister for them as well. Yeah, I mean, Big Ten teams have so many different weapons that we mentioned earlier that it's it's just so hard to win on the road, and really anyone can beat anyone. So I don't think by any means Maryland is is a lock to win this game is you could say from a betting standpoint, but I think they should win this game. And at first this week, I, I really thought that you agreed that they were going to lose one of the games, whether it was Indiana or Ohio State. And they held both teams under 60, and they beat them pretty well, pretty handily. I, I think that could happen here too, but it's going to take another strong effort, another defensively sound game. And I think that is the game plan. Just have great defense. That'll lead to the offense as it usually does. Yeah, for sure. And you look at Michigan State. I mean, they're coming off of – sorry, you look at Iowa. They're coming off of two losses. So Maryland will kind of look to jump on that streak and and keep that going. Iowa's not a team that's really had, like, a lot of big wins, in in my opinion. Um you know, when they played Michigan, they lost 103-91. to They beat Syracuse, but Syracuse is god-awful this year. Uh, I think the biggest win that stands out to me was them being Texas Tech, but I think that's another team that was kind of looked at better into this year than they actually are. They beat them uh, 72-61 to back in November. Uh, but besides that, none of their games really stick out to me that much. I mean, this isn't a team that is battle-tested in the way that Ohio State was coming into that game, and I think Maryland is definitely going to be their biggest test of the season so far. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, I think this this will be a tough one. But if Maryland can shut Luca Garza down, that will really be key. And then the game after that is another tough road game, another team that, you know, hasn't looked great, but is a team that can't be underestimated in Wisconsin. Um, what have you seen? of what, Have you been able to watch Wisconsin at all this year? What have you thought of them? I think they're a team that either you don't really think that nobody really thought how they would be up there this year, but then they beat Ohio State and they lose to Illinois. So I think they're one of those teams that's very up and down almost. Um, I think Purdue is one of those teams as well that they'll beat amazing teams and then they'll lose a questionable game. Right. I think Wisconsin kind of writing that script right now, but they're a team that always plays Maryland really tight. I mean, those games are usually really close, and it's going to come down to if Maryland can stop them. They they shoot a lot from behind the arc. They shoot a lot from the mid-range. They don't really get inside too much. So I think that is where this defensive effort will change almost because Ohio State, it kind of had to play – Maryland's defense kind of had to play both on the uh, the arc around the perimeter and inside the paint. For Iowa, it's going to come more inside the paint with Luca Garza. And then I think this game against Wisconsin, the defense is going to come mostly on the perimeter. And that's with Wiggins, Ayala, Morcel, Cowan really stepping up. 
and we see how, how they can do. I mean, you throw Wiggins at the top of his zone with a six-six frame, he can get out in passing lanes and just steal the ball. Same with Morsell. So I think Maryland is a better team than Wisconsin. Maryland should win that game as well. But Wisconsin has beaten good teams. And, again, you can't really count anyone out in the Big Ten. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting this game for, like, the first time ever. Maryland's going to be playing Wisconsin without Ethan Happ. I mean, he was there for, what, like, five years? Like, it's going to be very weird not having him there. Um, But, I mean... Maryland has had two road games, like, true road games this year. Because, you know, that whole Orlando Invitational is is not really a true road game. Um, and they lost both of those games. So I think I, I really want to see Maryland be able to play better on the road against these two teams. You know, in the past, Mark Turgeon coach teams have really struggled on the road, um, especially against ranked teams. Not of these teams are ranked, but they're, they're two good teams. Like you mentioned, they've been able to knock some you know people off and so you really want to see that resilience from Maryland on the road over these next two and um, to be able to pick up at least one win here I think these are two teams they're capable of beating I don't know if they can beat both but I think that um, they definitely stand a chance there but I mean you mentioned that Wisconsin is a team that can knock teams off they beat Ohio State when Ohio State was number five they picked up a 61-57 win there um, and, you know, they, of the other teams they've played, I mean, they've picked up then, uh, they were able to get like an 84-64 win over Indiana. Um, they, they did lose to Rutgers, like they did lose to Illinois. So like they, they've had some up and down games, uh, really I think of anyone in the Big Ten, you know, they lost to NC State, they lost to New Mexico, they lost to Richmond. Um, and, but then like they beat Marquette 77 to 61, um, they competed with St. Mary's taking them the overtime, but ended up losing that game when St. Mary's was ranked. So uh, it's really a team that you don't know, but it's a, you don't know what's going to happen just because they've been so up and down, but it's a well-coached team and they're going to be in the midst of a really, really tough stretch, but I think they're going to be fired up for because they're going to be playing uh, number 20 Penn State. Then they're playing number 12 Maryland, which will likely, because this game's on January 14th, Maryland will likely be in the top 10 at the time. And then they'll be playing number 8 Michigan State. So I think they're going to be really, really fired up for this game in this stretch. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough, tough stretch to play Maryland and Michigan State back-to-back. And then if you add in Penn State, obviously, too. Um, and I think that can, that can go both ways. That could help them be fired up, but... That could also give them lack of confidence almost where they're going against three teams that are ranked, teams that are better than them. But you mentioned all the games that have been up and down for them. So I think really anything can happen where they can beat Penn State, they can lose to Maryland, they can beat Michigan State. Nobody really knows how this happens, but that's just college basketball. I think it's so hard to predict. But in order for Maryland to win this game, it's just going to be another – defensive game where they just stop shots and that's how they've won games all year is just their defense that translates into their offense and I think it starts with Nate Reavers averaging 14.3 points per game nearly six rebounds he's a factor behind the arc he was last year in the two games Maryland had against Wisconsin um, and obviously with Ethan App there the defense went to him with Fernando and Jalen Smith down low but I think now it has to translate out to the perimeter and Wiggins is going to have to do a better job of guarding. If he is on Rivers, it might be more sell as well. It but might but be... Wiggins has done really well defensively. Yeah, but I think that he, he, I, I'm not saying that not, I'm not saying that they haven't done a good job. I'm saying that they're going to have to do an even better job. Okay. This is one of the better shooters in the conference. And if he's the leading scorer, I mean, as I said, if you eliminate that leading option, this is a team that's not going to want to make other decisions. I mean, they were relying on Reavers a lot. They have other guys, obviously Kobe King averaging nearly 11 and Demetric Trice averaging 10.1. So they have all these guards that shoot well. I think it's more of just getting the defense out on the perimeter and stopping the shot and forcing them to go down low on Dante Scott, on Jalen Smith, on Troll. 
it's a game that Maryland has advantages in, I think, and it's going to come from the defense. Yeah, I think Nate Reavers is definitely someone they're going to look out for. When Maryland played them last year, he went on, he, like, I don't think hit anything in the first half, and then in the second half he hit just, like, a bunch of, a, of threes in a row and looked really good. He's surprisingly only shooting 30.4% from um, behind the arc right now, but he's a guy that can really get hot quickly and is someone to look out for. And then also on that team, um, both averaging around 10 points per game are Kobe King and Dimitri Trice, um, averaging 10.9 points and then 10.1. So there are two guys to look out for as well that Maryland will really be looking to stop. Uh, And Dimitri Trice is also averaging 4.2 rebounds per game. Um, But then you look at Kobe King, and he's their best shooter from the field right now, shooting 50.9% from the field. Um, And that's someone that's going to be key to stop as well, a 6'4 guard. He can't really shoot the three ball well, only shooting 29.2, and has only taken 24 attempts and made seven of those. But you know, he's another guy who's who's really good for them and someone to look out for. Like we mentioned, it's kind of a different look this year for this Wisconsin team. And, you know, they certainly haven't looked uh, as skilled and ranked and all of that as we've seen from Wisconsin teams in the past. But I think they're uh, dangerous regardless. I have to say, very glad that their one game against Wisconsin is away this year. I am, you know, on the, not on the sidelines anymore. I'm in the press box, but... I have gotten, you know, mobbed by some Wisconsin players in the past. I remember, I think it was last year, just Brad Davidson just completely fell on me. Very painful experience. You don't want a big guy like that to fall on you. So I have to say I'm glad they're uh, playing away because there's been there's been a history of just having Wisconsin players having some bad falls on uh, photographers in my experience. Wisconsin, a team that Maryland definitely couldn't shut down defensively. I mean, they're averaging around 68 points per game, Wisconsin is. So Maryland has held their previous two opponents to under 60. And I think I mean, Indiana and Ohio State are teams that average much more than 60 points. And <clears throat> Wisconsin averaging right around 68 points per game, I think Maryland can stop them easily. But it's it's obviously on the road. No, Nothing in the Big Ten on the road is easy. So... It's really going to come from their defense, and that's going to spark how their offense looks. And I think this is a game where if their defense is playing really well, you can get Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala their looks from three and try to get them going. Because once those shots start to fall, this team is no no stop. I mean, I mean they, they've got to fall at some point. You can't have a don't. shooter like Aaron Wiggins and not have those shots fall eventually. I mean, I don't really know what's going on there. I think maybe it's a confidence thing whatever else it is I mean he's looked good in other aspects of his game but I mean you can't go from shooting over 41 percent and you know winning the Steph the Stephen Curry camp in high school and and being called one of the best shooters his high school coach has ever seen and you know that's a coach Keith Booth who played at Maryland uh, you know I don't think you go from that to just not being able to shoot so I think he's going to get it back sooner or later and I think you're exactly right once that happens that's going to be really really tough for anyone to stop and you know, like you mentioned, it's a tough road game. Wisconsin is another team where they really have a big fan base that's going to show up. So it's definitely going to be a big one. And as we wrap up here, just talking a little bit about women's basketball. This past week, they moved down to number 17 uh, after losing to Northwestern. But then, you know, they really came back and looked good against Ohio State. Uh, they were trailing early in that game, trailing at halftime, came back to beat them by 10. And Kyla Charles has looked really, really good lately. Um, she had a career high, not a career high, but a season high 28 points in that game, uh, as well as seven rebounds. Um, and she's really, these past few games, shown up and been a key leader for this team. Yeah, she's looked like the All-American that she was named on the preseason AP All-American team. I think she can keep this up. She's had a double-double nearly every game. She had two double-doubles back-to-back, and then, had one nearly against Northwestern. I think she had 10 points, 9 rebounds in that game. And then here, three rebounds away from another double-double. So she's just been able to score so much better than she was. And Marilyn was winning games even when she was struggling. But I think she's starting to get into that groove. And she's she's just one of the best players in the country, whether it's on offense, defense, anything really, as a teammate, 
as a coachable player. I mean, now in her senior season, she's the leader here. It's it's almost kind of like Anthony Cowan for the men's team. Kyle Charles is the leader. They lead on her for big-time shots, and she's going to make them. I think she carries them pretty far this year, and it's just a matter of climbing back up there to being ranked as high. They were as high as number four. They were preseason number four. So, obviously, one of their worst losses in conference play ever came against Northwestern. They got blown out you know, two games ago. Came back with a bounce-back window against Ohio State, and now they play Iowa tonight. So, that's a big matchup on the road. Iowa, a team that beat them in the Big Ten tournament last year. And in the regular season, too. And in the regular season. So, But, obviously, Iowa's not with their best player in Megan Gustafson anymore. So I think Charles headlines this game again. And she was the only player that scored in double figures for Maryland against Ohio State. She had 28 points. So if she's really on her game, there's no stopping Maryland. There's no stopping Kyla Charles. She's so versatile. Getting to the basket and shooting from mid-range as well. I think the next step for Maryland is to get Taylor Mikesell going again. I mean, she's struggling a little bit from behind the arc, but I've seen her since her freshman year. She's one of the best shooters ever that I've seen. And she's broke. she broke the record last year for most threes at Maryland as a freshman on the men's team or women's team ever. So I think that if she gets going, this team is back up to top ten, and then it can make its way back up to the top five. It's just a matter of more confidence in the shots falling again because they're getting good looks, just like Aaron Wiggins and Ayala are. I think Mike Sell's in the same page of just keep taking their shots and they're eventually going to go in. Right, and we'll wrap it up there. As always, stay tuned with all of our coverage on to Studio Times with all the men's and women's games coming up. As Matt mentioned as we started the episode, if you are interested in sponsoring a Studio Times podcast, please do so. We are also having a fundraiser right now on GoFundMe to try and help our writers uh, have more means to travel for away games. So feel free to donate to that as well. Uh, You can find a link to that uh, on our Twitter. Uh, You can find it on GoFundMe under Testudo Times Travel. Um, We appreciate any support uh, and, you know, are very thankful to our readers and listeners of this podcast. And, you know, stay tuned with all of our coverage this week.